Welcome to the 30th episode of Lunch Money. Uh, my name is Nick Samios, um, and you've tuned in to the online and social media home for special situations, workouts, and capital raising professionals. Um, Australia's economic cycle is very much dependent on the mining and property sectors, and today we're going to be getting some special insights in both mining and property development uh, from leading industry insiders, uh, property development funder Salido Capital's Michael Corcoran and equity specialist and corporate advisor Nick Brownbill from uh, JP Equity Partners. Um, meanwhile, there is an expectation of a wave of corporate insolvencies at some point in the future. Exactly when in the future that is, we don't know. And when that happens, hopefully we'll also see a wave of business reconstructions and business turnarounds. Um, already Virgin's reconstruction and turnaround is in the news again today, uh, with talks of industrial relations uh, being a potential impediment uh, to Virgin's turnaround plans. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the aspects of that um, with, uh, with Ryan Eagle. Uh, who is a partner at KPMG uh, and a restructuring and turnaround specialist. First, a quick reminder to subscribe wherever you're watching us or listening uh, to us, uh, YouTube, uh, give us a subscribe. Um, secondly, a reminder that the best question uh, receives this mug. I don't actually have the mug in my hand. I meant to get that. I don't have that prop, but we will, we've got the uh, lunch money mug and the best question um, that we receive live today uh, we'll send you a lunch money mug. Uh, the runner-up last week was a wag who asked, where's my mug? Uh, that's not the kind of question we're looking for. We're looking for a question that we can put to our panel. Okay, without further ado, uh, I caught up with our first guest, Nick Brownbill from JP Equity Partners on Sunday. Uh, I was at home, um, so the lighting was a little bit different, uh, and I was in my lounge room at home. Uh, Nick was at Perth Airport and on his way to Diggers and Dealers. Okay, we've got Nicholas Brownville, Director and Corporate Advisor with JP Equity. He's in the departure lounge at uh, Perth Airport, headed for Diggers and Dealers. G'day, how are you going, Nick? Yeah, very well, thanks, Nick. Uh, just a couple of questions. Firstly, what is Diggers and Dealers for our uh, East Coast uh, viewers? So Diggers and Dealers is a once-year uh, mining conference over here in Kalgoorlie, Western Australia. So um, it's a... Yeah, it's a basically a three-day uh, mining conference and we have a range of companies that uh, usually come from all around Australia to present. Um, have a mix of fund managers and stockbrokers from the industry. So it's a, it's a um, yeah, big, big, big event in the calendar over here. And uh, I have had a look at the schedule. You guys very kindly invited me along, but I'm, I'm stuck here in New South Wales. I had a look at the schedule. It's not exactly uh, – I'm sure you'll have time to have some fun, but it looks pretty heavy going. This is uh, – this is a shot of you guys flying over there last year. What's what's going on there? Yeah, so last year we, um, JP Equity, obviously the firm that I'm with, um, alongside Jane Morgan Management, we organised a chartered 100-person plane um, to Kalgoorlie. Um, we have 10 corporate sponsors, uh, a range of mining companies that come on board um, and present to the, the fund managers slash brokers on board. So it's a really good opportunity for these companies to get a bit of a jump start on um, getting in front of a few or getting their story out there prior to um, prior to national conference starting. So this is the second year we, we're doing it. There's obviously some good numbers here um, already. Um, we'll be departing in about half an hour's time. So that's good. Fantastic. And, uh, and they actually pitch on the plane. You have a little pitch session on the plane, I understand. Yes, correct. So each, each row has, a, has one corporate uh, per row. 
um, the, um, yeah, they, they, they will be chatting to those brokers on board. It's a 45 minute flight, so um, there's not too much time to do too much uh, seat swapping, but it's a good opportunity for the guys to um, yeah, get the story in front of the, in front of the Sounds excellent. Now you are you, you are going to uh, to Cal. This is the uh, All Ordinaries uh, Gold Index, Gold Miners Index versus the All Ords. So uh, I mean, they've obviously both bounced back since uh, since the lows uh, back there in March and April. But uh, gold has done really well. Um, so the mood should be pretty good. Yeah, expecting the mood to be well, always is pretty upbeat. Uh, diggers and dealers, uh, pubs are always firing, but. Um, obviously, this year, obviously, it would be just West Australian, um, West Australian people that will be going to it, and they're expecting it to be quite buoyant, um, which is reflecting what's been happening in the market. And is there is there any particular buzz this year? Anything, any sort of hot topic? Oh, I think obviously gold, gold, it's lots of explorers, and I think also, um, I guess, the Northern Star, um, Saracen, moved it last week, which is. There's going to be a lot of talk, talk of the town. So, and uh, is there anything? Uh, I know, obviously, you guys uh, specialise in, in the actual miners. Is there anything you can tell us about mining services? I mean, obviously, it's picked up along with uh, along with mining generally. Yeah, no, the mining services is um, picking up as well. Um, we've especially been involved in a in a company that listed, and they're they're experiencing significant demand for all their services. Um, they're a joint glass company, Dynamic and Blast, and since they've yeah. come listed in the back of the market, they've been noticing lots of um, lots of inquiries. So very good. Yeah, I know. I know there was a time a few years ago when everything was in the doldrums that you uh, you couldn't give away a drilling rig for love or money, and then when it all came back again, uh, you, you you couldn't buy them anywhere as well. Listen, I know that you're in the waiting lounge here, so I'll just uh, ask you one last question. Have you got any capital raisings on the go that you can tell us about? Uh, we we actually do. We've lodged a. Um, We've actually lodged a, a West Australian kale in the company. They lodged their prospectus for an IPO on Friday. Um, so they'll be raising a $22 million at $55 million um, dollar market cap. So JP Equity is point manager for the IPO alongside Canaccord. Um, this is a real exciting company. This guy's West Australian base. It's a tier one kale in deposit. Um, they have a DFS in place. They've got all the mining approvals and they're raising money to basically um, – Get the mine into into production and become a globally significant KLN uh, producer. Fantastic. Okay, well that's uh, that's pretty exciting. Maybe we can get uh, get uh, you and them uh, on our show in a, in a week in a couple of weeks if that's uh, if that's something you can organise. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be good. The timing would work out well. All right. Okay. Listen, I'll let you go. Uh, have a great diggers and dealers, and thank you very much for joining us. All right. Cool. Thanks, Nick. So, Thanks a lot, Nick. Cheers. Bye bye. Well, the age-old question, of course, is what's better than one Nick? And the answer is two Nicks. So uh, thank you very much to uh, Nick Brownbill. Uh, and keep an eye out on our schedule because we will hopefully have Nick uh, back on live uh, with that uh, to tell us about that particular capital raise that he's doing with hopefully uh, the CEO or some executives from that firm, which, uh, which should be very good. But right now it's time to introduce our first panellist, Michael Corcoran. There he is. Michael, how are you going? Very good, Nick. Very good. Uh, thank you for inviting me on. Fantastic. Now, Michael, you're the uh, Executive Director at Salido Development Finance. So tell us a little bit about what it is uh, that what, what Salido is and, and what is it that's been keeping you busy the last, uh, the last little while? So Salido Capital um, Development Finance uh, is focused on filling the gap 
left by the banks um, for providing development finance, predominantly senior development finance, um, first mortgage secured to developers across Australia. We focus on the residential market. I've got a 30-year history in uh, development as opposed to just financing um, uh, all over Australia in the development market in residential development. So we have a team of people that are experienced, as experienced, if not more experienced in development as, uh, as well as financing. And uh, we saw that there was a gap forming as the regulators pulled the banks back from around a 90 to 95% market share in Australia um, of providing development finance uh, to developers. And we launched the company about four years ago. We have our own balance sheet of around uh, just over $60 million. We use that capital to underwrite all of the development financing facilities that range from around $5 million through to about $25 million in scale. And then we sell down those investments um, or 70 for up to 75% of those investments, maintaining 25% on our own balance sheet for strong alignment with our investors, which is quite unique amongst non-bank lenders, uh, to wholesale investors. We have an AFSL licence. We deal with um, uh, you know small wholesale investors through to family offices and uh, some institutions who invest into our facilities. They earn around uh, 8 to 10% returns to the investor. Um, and we see them as secure investments with strong returns. So their first mortgage secured, and most people know about the security that runs with that sort of investment. And generally, the loan-to-value ratios or the exposure of our investment capital uh, is around about 60 to 65% maximum um, of the value of the, the asset uh, that we assess. So we've been very, very busy, um, busier than this time last year. Um, we've got around about uh, 60 million in construction projects completing at the moment in Melbourne and Sydney, um, with facilities being uh, coming back over the next two or three weeks, the settlements of those end projects complete. And we have around about 50 million in site acquisition facilities that are converting through to uh, refinancing for construction finance. So we've got a lot of um, uh, facilities and capital coming back in. And pleasingly, um, we have you know a, a strong sense of where our investors sit. Um, there's a, a, you know at this stage, it looks like most of those investors want to reinvest, and we're looking and assessing around about 120 million dollars of new facilities um, right as we speak. So you are looking at me sitting in a car because uh, I've been <laughs> running around uh, doing site inspections this morning, one at Fairlight in Sydney, uh, one at um, Newport in Sydney, um, and various others, uh, you, know, you know, assessing, uh, completing the due diligence, preparing them uh, to be underwritten by ourselves and then sold down to investors. So a very busy period between now and Christmas. Um, the other thing that's kept me busy this week, which is quite interesting, is I've got relatives uh, in Adelaide and I was down in Adelaide for a couple of days. So I got an insight into uh, what a city looks like uh, when uh, there is no COVID, um, which is essentially the case in Adelaide, and also the attitude of the people. And if anyone thinks that people aren't going to go back into work in CBDs, uh, head into Adelaide's CBD because it was uh, it was packed and okay. very normal.
All right, well, you've, you've preempted a little bit of what we'll talk about in a little while. There's so many things I'd like to ask you about. Um, it's a very interesting model that you have there about investing first and selling down. And, um, yeah, so that, that that's very interesting. And obviously, you're, a, you're sort of characterising yourself as a, someone with property development experience first and a lender second, which which I'm sure the investors would love as well. Listen, we're going to just pop you in our waiting room, Michael, while we introduce our next guest, uh, who is Ryan Eagle, partner Deal Advisory Restructuring and Turnaround at KPMG. G'day, Ryan. Uh, what's, how, how are you going? Very well, thank you. And what's been keeping you busy the, the past week or two? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a, an interesting environment for from a restructuring point of view. You know, with the level of government stimulus, it hasn't been anywhere near as busy week on week as uh, as, as we would expect. Um, uh, but we expect that will change over the course of next year as the stimulus comes off. Um, but where we are getting involved is is where there is stress or dispute amongst parties. Um, Michael mentioned the the level of capital we're seeing, particularly in in property matters, that there is quite a lot of capital, alternative capital, to come in and solve stress situations. Um, certainly, the the big four Australian lenders are not driving outcomes. Um, it's more alternative lenders coming in and 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 assisting. Um, but there still are stress situations whether it's a, a joint venture dispute or a dispute amongst the the equity holders um that are situations that we're getting involved with um uh there's probably three that we're handling at the moment where uh there's a dispute both amongst the equity holders and and that then dry, goes through to the debt as well um where equity uh, are not looking to to put more money into a project and um and at least one we've come in on an enforcement basis and there's a couple of others that we're we're working closely with the stakeholders um trying to find a, a way through it um but ultimately in in some cases there there will be be enforcements but but generally at this at this time of the of this unusual cycle we're in the the enforcement levels are are, are historically low as, as has been widely reported yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, the, the very fact that you're even using the word enforcement, you just don't even hear it spoken uh, spoken of late. I imagine that, that you're talking about, you know, uh, disputes amongst amongst uh, stakeholders, I guess. Uh, I, I suppose with COVID, it, 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 everybody needs to uh, – it puts pressure on relationships, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it, it does. Um, but surprisingly, everyone's quite collegiate in the way they're going about things at the moment. And, and there's also this sense of – um, wait a wait and see attitude um, uh, but from time to time you're right it does it does flare does flare up and create tension yeah and uh, you're you're speaking to us from the office so uh, I guess yes. your your team is is back are they partly working from home what's 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 happening there we're, we're accommodation so we, we have a booking process where it's sort of only one in every two desks can be used but generally People sort of fifty percent in, fifty percent at home. So um, it's a you know, it's it's a relatively fluid working situation. Depending how busy we are, um, you know, we are out on site from time to time. Um, uh, certainly in Sydney, but you know, our Melbourne colleagues are uh, are locked away. But hopefully, um, as Michael said, everyone gets back into the cities before long, and um, we can uh, keep those real estate values up, as we'll talk about further. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if it starts raining insolvencies. I wonder how many. You know, I wonder if this fifty-fifty thing will, will hold up. But um, we'll, yeah. we'll 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 go. We'll, we'll bring Michael back, and we'll start having a look 
at some of our headlines. Um, starting off with this, uh, this article here, Insatiable Growth Vanishes in Big Cities as Workers Move Away. Um, and this is talking about, I guess, a couple of things. People, well, people moving away from the city, either to the suburbs or into regional areas. I mean, Michael, you're you're in the, you're a property in the property development game. Are you seeing this, and and how's that influencing uh, the decisions that you make as a property developer or property development lender? Oh, look, I think the first thing I'd say is the media loves sensational headlines. I, I, don't, right. I think that that headline's a, a bit of a stretch. I think. Um, you know, I was down and I in Adelaide, and they've had a very stable situation all year. Um, I wouldn't have seen any difference in the numbers, the volumes of people I met with. A lot of colleagues down there, they are all in the office. Um, some of them might like to be in the office less, but really their operations are operating as they were before. I think that um, I think that uh, we will see more of that. Sydney is still quiet as a CBD, and all the support, you know food halls and everything around it. But I think, um, you know, I can't speak for you, but I've enjoyed being at home, but I enjoy being back in the office as well and having that break away from that environment and being, you, you met Ryan, you mentioned the word collegiate. Um, that is something that's essential, getting a team together, getting client, together with clients face-to-face. And we're finding that our scheduling as our, a company in an office is less about the, just the routine of being there every day, but just being more event-driven. And uh, certainly we're seeing a benefit of results from getting together as a team, getting together with our clients. And I think that, you know, that ultimately underpins whether uh, demand uh, for offices and even the, the people thinking, oh, I don't need to live near my office anymore. I can live, you know, uh, in a regional location or a beach location a long way from the office. I think that will stabilise as well. We, you know, property always sees new trends come in, the pendulum swings, and generally it comes back and balances out in time. Uh, I think uh, we'll see that. What I do think will happen is there will be some changes in how offices are configured um, to suit, you know, some of those reasons to be in the office. So... You know, I think underlying demand will still be there. We might not be building as many offices in the future. Um, there might be some C and D grade offices, uh, D grade offices that suffer in their current configurations that need to be renewed or knocked down and rebuilt. But I've got great confidence um, that uh, you know the pendulum will swing back and there'll be a bit of normality come back in next year and the year after. Um, and Ryan, I mean, sort of offices are one thing, but I'm just wondering about uh, residential developments, for example. I mean, my, my office is here in Waterloo, and yes. uh, I've been here for ten years, and you know, we, we've seen one one residential apartment block go up after the other. But would you be concerned, or would 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 your would the bankers that you deal with be concerned about getting those developments away at this stage? Or I'd, yeah, look, I, I mean, I'd say on the on the bankers that. Um, they're certainly, I'm not sure the word concerned is the right word, but they're certainly giving it quite a lot of thought as to what new trends are going to play out um, and um, agree with Michael that the pendulum will come back, um, but there will be some some changes. And certainly that's a, that's a thought that's been um, considered. Um, it And it really drives, a lot of it is that those apartments that you talk about that are going up, um, and their access to transport and ability to get around. So if there's more um, office hubs 
take Sydney, for instance, in different locations, uh, it's just about being able to to access them via different routes. Um, uh, I know that our firm as a as a larger organisation, we have five offices around Sydney, um, and you can book and go to any one of those offices. So, you know, we have the luxury of of of, of being able to to use different transport routes. Um, for smaller organisations, it is it is a little difficult, but I think a lot of effort's been put into the Sydney infrastructure. It's improving to to um, to to allow those different office hubs. Um, certainly, I think that's the same around um, different parts of the country. But the major CBDs will still um, will still attract a lot of people. Um, we we certainly have a view um, that. Booking systems will be something, and, and different configurations of offices, um, and you know, which might change the the total demand. But for the long term, the demand is still going to be there. Okay. Well, just uh, okay. Well, that's yeah, that's interesting. Long term is one thing, of course. You've got to make it to the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether or not there's a valley of death. Our next, our next uh, couple of uh, headlines, I guess, in the same vein. Uh, tower values hit as the as virus infects vacancy. Uh, com- uh, commercial property deals down 58% as industrial surpasses office. Michael, uh, obviously you do a lot in the residential space. Do you do much in commercial? No, um, but uh, we, we focus on that area um, uh, for good reason and not just property, uh, residential in general, but um, with the knowledge and the insight we have within the team uh, and experience, we can then pick corridors that we favour the demand supply balance and de-risk for our investors and, 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 and our debt uh, lending. But, you know, I'm very aware of the commercial market. You know, um, I've worked with colleagues like uh, Darren Steinberg, who's head of uh, Dexas. Uh, I catch up with Darren re- reasonably often to get a sense of what's going on there. Look, I, I think um, that obviously in a time like this with uncertainty, and uncertainty is the, the enemy of, you know, of... Uh, of, of, of um, of risk management um, in and at the moment, of course, whilst things are uncertain, you expect transactions to be down. Um, if they were up, that would probably suggest that a lot of the owners are highly distressed and having to sell. Um, I think the fact that they're down is probably gives a sense of comfort that there isn't, uh, you know, the panic selling going on um, because there would be there would be buyers there at the low the low values. You know the long-term investors that can see that it will stabilise. So, you know, I'm not surprised to see those things. Look, you know, industrial up is probably a lot related to the lift in um, demand for distribution. Um, whether that stabilises as walk-in retail sort of comes back and is you know is de-risked, um, you know, post-COVID, um, but certainly you know. You know, Dexas launched a fund in recent times, an opportunity fund, and it's looking at things like taking retail centres and, and converting them to uh, distribution centres because they can see some underlying long-term demand. But again, I think things will stabilise. And, uh, you know, I, I think in some areas, industrial has gone, is a bit over, overcooked and needs to settle. I tell you what, you know, I'm just going to go a little bit off script here because when, I, when I've been looking at these headlines, I, just listening to both of you speak, as a matter of fact, it makes me think of a couple of things. Firstly, from an investor's point of view, investors are yield hungry. You know, we've got 
Zero interest rates, who knows, negative interest rates coming up. Um, so on one hand, you've got investors who are yield hungry. On the other hand, uh, we've got the, the specialists like myself, but also like like Michael and Salido Capital, who are who are very specialised. If you're going to play around in this uh, in this property development space, you know, I I, I I don't touch property development myself. I've always said, if anyone comes to me with a property development uh, uh, proposal, I say, listen, it's just not me. I, uh, there's too many other people that that, that that know about it, and you really need to to be very specialised. I just wonder, Ryan, from your point of view. Mm. Um, I mean, do you find yourself dealing more with, more and more with specialist funds? Uh, yeah, sub substantially. And there's a couple of points I'd make on that. One is you know, the, the the sophistication of capital has improved substantially since the you know, tw 12 years ago with the GFC. Um, you know, there's not just funds that come and solve problems. There's funds that do property development. There's funds that are opportunities funds. You know, there, there's there's a there's a, a handful of people. That have a specific um, focus on on any any issue that that we come across from a structuring point of view, um, and you know, Dexas with their opportunities fund. There's a number of other similar funds that are looking for ways to to deal with assets that might need a, a change in in their focus. Um, uh, so I definitely, uh, you know, that's been an evolving situation for us over the last. Ten plus years, and and we'll ch we'll we'll move um, substantially over the next year or two. Um, it's it'll also change the way restructurings are undertaken. Um, you know, certainly, we expect to see a lot less formal enforcements and a lot more consensual restructurings. Um, uh, and whether it's um, a, a new lender working with existing lenders and some form of equity, but certainly um, there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of different solutions available. And Michael, do you, do you see yourself? Uh, I assume that you get involved uh, in developments from the ground up. But do you do you anticipate that maybe over the next twelve months you might get approached to to take over developments? You know, maybe they're they're halfway through and they have hit hit problems, and you might get asked you know, by someone like Ryan or one of the banks to to, to parachute in. Do you anticipate that at all? Uh, yeah, yes, I do, and and I think um, that ahead of that, you know, what we see, I mean, the run up to the end of last year, pre-COVID, probably our biggest frustration was what you were talking about before, Nick, was the investors were all really obsessed with yield, and really not focused at all on risk, and yeah. who they were backing to invest behind, and the experience and set that they've got to manage to assess projects um, and acquisitions but also if worse comes to worse to deliver those acquisitions yeah. so we wouldn't go out and seek to acquire or work out a project um, unless we were a debt provider on it um, right. and the way we do our due diligence is this, is as if we are 100% equity funding it and we are the developer. That's we take that development type approach rather than just a debt provider approach. However, when we invest, you know, there's a buffer of thirty-five to forty percent in the capital yeah. value. That's extra security. So we, we, you know, we're seeing it as a purple patch for us because of right. that experience. And yeah. we would expect, that, uh, you know, get, getting coming back to that word collegiate uh, that um, Ryan mentioned before. You know, we've had challenges with some of our developers this year. Um, but, you know, I can look through, our team can look through to see what's legitimate challenges and issues that are market-related and what aren't. 
and then we can be flexible to work with them. And our investors have given us the flexibility because of our experience to do things like provide construction finance without having a stack of pre-sales on those projects because essentially we've done our DD, but we believe there is underlying demand for the projects and a bunch of pre-sales doesn't necessarily tick a box for us. It's that more detailed due diligence and confidence that if something went wrong, we could work through it and and trade through it. So it's certainly a better time for uh, a group that's got the experience we've got rather than, you know, some of the financiers that don't have that depth of delivery experience. Yeah, look, I mean... I'd, I'd love to talk to you about, I'm sure, I mean, we've been around for a long time and I know that you've obviously got a wealth of experience as well and sometimes deals cross your desk and you're being out-competed on them by someone who started up, you know, yesterday and you must, you look at the deal and go, you know, I know all the risks in this thing and there's no way I'm touching it the way they want to touch it. But we won't go down that path right now because um, <laughs> time is time is uh, getting past. I We've got, uh, given that we've got Ryan, uh, who is a, a restructuring expert, we have to look at some of the uh, insolvency-related headlines. A couple of headlines here. Zombies take their medicine as some companies uh, accept reality and COVID-19 could kill 160,000 small businesses in Australia. And that's coming from uh, Judo Bank, uh, Judo Bank's analysis there. So that's uh, that's quite, yes. um, quite alarming. Uh, I guess anybody who's watched a zombie movie, uh, and I've watched many of them, knows that one thing that zombies love doing is uh, they love to eat the flesh of the living. Um, so I guess one, one way to, to one, one thing I would like to ask you, Ryan, is you, you give advice to all sorts of businesses. Mm. Um, I mean, what advice do you give to good businesses uh, to help them avoid being eaten by zombies? Uh, you know, when, when when things do turn south in the new year. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole range of things to think through, and and you're right in terms of good businesses that are whether it's a key supplier or, or a key customer that and may not be able to pay them so it's it's a it's about being um clear in their communication with those stakeholders um that's what we we would always say um you know it's important to to get advice and understand your your registration position and also the current legislation um uh, it's uh the government um has provided a, a huge amount of assistance um both from a stimulus point of view but also the insolvent trading holiday which goes through until the end of the year and and now the the small business restructuring reforms which um will come in by the um the 1st of january um so w- what that's created is an environment where the rules are there's a number of interim new rules in place so um, it's important for for everyone to understand those, and some of them um, even haven't even been finalised in terms of those small business restructuring. So it's a okay. matter of uh, understanding it. That I'm very interested to know from your point of view that there's a little bit of confusion as to what is exactly going to happen on the 31st of December. So at the moment, there's yes. an insolvent trading moratorium. Uh, I mean, you can't trade like a drunken sailor, but you still, you know, the fact is it's going to be very, you, you, you're more or less absolved of insolvent trading. We've got this safe harbour. I mean, come the come the 31st of October, uh, 31st of December, December. Uh, I order from you on credit terms, not being able to, being insolvent, but maybe borderline, I'm, I'm, I'm in the clear at that point in time. But come the 2nd of January or whatever the first trading day is, at that point, I've got to. What happens? 
Well, well, there's two things. I mean, the 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 small business restructuring reforms actually um, allow businesses to nominate that they're going to use that reform um, from one January, and they actually then get a three month extension of that insolvent trading holiday. So that uh, that will be something that that may get used, but again, it's unclear as to how um, the the final structure of that. Um, but you're right. There's a ho- there's a whole range of businesses that sit above that million dollar liability threshold. Um, you know, that that may look to use the safe harbour provisions, um, uh, and you know that that's creating a, a a bit of uncertainty. But surprisingly, like when it was supposed to expire at the end of the, the end of September, it was surprising to us the the, re- the level of complacency and the fact that you know the general view was it all be okay. So, do you do you take the view that you have to go into administration before the thirty first of December to be protected, or or not? Because that's 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 a point of conjecture. Uh, well, uh, I would. Say, our view is that safe harbour might be something you'd look at, and if you right. don't think you meet safe harbour, um, then it's it depends. It we're not hard and fast on that. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. I'm just conscious of time, and I, I do want to get. Uh, I do want to ask Michael. Um, it's one thing, obviously, you've got the, the property developments one one aspect, and and you're secured and all the rest of it. But are you concerned at all about tradies and the subcontractors? Oh, look, I think in the short term, yes, I am. I think um, you know it's great to see things like the home builder grant scheme being released for uh, stimulating the economy. Um, the challenge is uh, some times that the politicians want to get these things happening quickly um, and so they set deadlines to drive. I think we've lost Michael so we'll just close out with yourself Ryan um, we will go sure. to our, we'll very quickly wrap up with our next slide which which uh, was, was was sort of in your belly week in any case Virgin yeah Virgin's epic fight with unions now I don't want to get into necessarily Virgin it's not really a conversation about Virgin. Yes. But what I do find interesting, I know that you you've acted, as we said earlier, you've acted for funds and and hedge funds in the past. Um, this does seem to be a little bit of a potential battle where capital uh, fights with labour. I mean, the the new money's come in, um, and they've obviously got a plan on how to make money out of this thing. You know, obviously, the uh, labour on the other hand, the the the, the workers are, are concerned about trying to maybe restore their previous lifestyles. What's your experience in trying to restructure? When you maybe have have these sort of industrial relations issues, and do you think this is something we're going to see more of? I definitely think it's uh, something that you will see more of, and it's a key focus um, for us and for any restructuring. The 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 employees, particularly when you've got a big employ uh, employee base like like Virgin, um, Arian being another one, and and others of of, of similar ilk, um, it is is key to to communicate and give them some confidence. Um, and when you've got those large employee numbers, you then have federal and state government um, attention. Um, the, the, there's, no, there's no one way to deal with those um, situations. Um, we find that um, uh, the, 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 all, all the unions are, are very proactive in, in trying to work through, um, through problems. And, and find a solution, um, but as you as you, you you alluded to earlier, you're in a stress situation where there's limited assets and the the outcome's not always going to be in everyone's favour. Um, uh, 
so it's really just about trying to find a, a common ground and tr and and trying to protect as many jobs as possible. Um, but it may may well be that protecting all the jobs um, doesn't solve the 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 um, profitability of the business. Yeah, um, well, and certainly that's, that's the fun tension. I mean, the some someone like a, a, an investor coming in is 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 trying to get profitability. Well, hedge funds aren't renowned for being soft and cuddly, that's for sure. Um, so that that will be interesting. I guess the other interesting thing is that with, with these restructures, particularly what we're going to see, hopefully we're going to see, as I said, there'll be a wave of insolvencies, but hopefully there'll also be a wave of restructures and business turnarounds. And given that we are in a new world, um, you know, business models are going to need to pivot or whatever the terminology you want to use. And that's yep. not necessarily always going to uh, to suit the existing workforce, I guess. No, and, and what, what I think has been good over the last few years is the, the voluntary administration process has been used quite a lot to, to restructure businesses, just with Virgin being an example. Um, we've had uh, McWilliams this year, um, Techfront, another, another business that we've used the voluntary administration process. So with less receivership appointments having been uh, uh, occurring in recent years, the, the the voluntary administrations have resulted in in um, often the majority, if not all, all employees being um, continuing to be employed by the business. And you know, it, it may be that uh, it's a smaller business um, or a reshaped business, but um, jobs are preserved where they can be. Okay. All right, well, look, on that, uh, on that positive note of jobs being preserved, uh, we'll wrap it up. And uh, I would like to thank uh, all of our guests, uh, Nick uh, Brownbill, who, uh, who I spoke to earlier in the week, uh, Michael Corcoran, who um, unfortunately one of the hazards of being actually in the field uh, is that sometimes the connections uh, fail us eventually. But thank you very much, Michael, if you can still hear us. Really appreciate your input. And Ryan, it was fantastic to have you along. We've been trying to get you along before now, but I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Thanks, Nick. Well done. All right. Thank you. And thank you very much to our viewers and listeners. See you next time. Cheers.